Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the first 2021 Great Wide Open here on KZMU Moab Public Radio. We are sitting down today with Clifton Coons, who is a trail aficionado and the current executive director of Ride with Respect and the chairperson for the Grand County uh, Motorized Trail Committee. And today we're going to have a conversation about it's a slightly different topic for Great Wide Open. We've primarily been talking about non-motorized recreation. And today's going to be our first conversation that is centered around motorized recreation. Clifton, welcome to Great Wide Open. Thanks for having me, Lisa. And um, thanks for including the motors. Well, it's our pleasure to have you here, and motorized recreation is a really big part of our outdoor recreation scene here. And um, I'm curious a little bit, if you would tell us a little bit about your background and how you found yourself in Moab. Um, just uh, going steadily westward, um, you know, my first 18 years growing up or Jersey um, and uh, I was attracted to the <clears throat> landscape of the West as, as well as um, motorcycle trail riding in particular um, which is uh, pretty hard to come by in New Jersey um, and I went to college in Colorado um, and uh, was was able to start learning how to ride but I didn't um, really learn until I started visiting Moab in the 90s and moving here in 2001 um, and uh, uh, getting hooked up with um, Dale Perriott in particular uh, was the <clears throat> impetus for the respect. So you were interested in trail riding from a young age but you didn't really get a chance to experience it until you moved out to the west? Yeah I, I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, convince my parents to buy me a used dirt, but you kind of had to ride it around in circles in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I didn't really get the skills and, until I got on real trails in Colorado and then actually had more riding buddies in, in Utah. So you were in Colorado for undergraduate? Yeah, and and then I, I did go back. So I, um, I've been in Moab since two thousand one, except for uh, one year in Montana um, for recreation management um, to uh, try to get a formal education in the um, things I was grappling with. Right with respect. So. When you were in college in Colorado and you started riding um, more, that became a bigger part of your life. What was it about the riding that got you interested in not only taking a role in trail creation and trail preservation advocacy, but made you want to come to Moab and turn this into your current career um you know the uh, uh the outdoors uh, appealed to me for the same reasons as most people who move here um and then the the activity of motorcycle trail riding it it just um uh had a, a flow to it and um you know a, a challenge but uh um, rewards in terms of being thrilling and actually pretty good exercise um and uh, i i could tell pretty early on that there's a, a potential conflict um uh, when you're um beautiful natural places and um you're anything that's um you know more uh intense um uh an activity you know the, the focus um is going to be more on the activity um but you you can maintain uh at least a, a little bit of mindfulness on your surroundings you know the other people and the, the 
uh, landscape itself. Um, and uh, so I, I felt that um, my interest in both of those things and familiarity um, as I um, moved west would, would give me something to offer. Um, and, uh, you know, I've hopefully made a dent, but I'm not sure we've kept pace with the growth. The growth of, of, of recreation in general or the growth of motorized recreation specifically? All of the above. <laughs> All the above. Um, so you found yourself in Moab. Did you come to Moab because Ride With Respect was here and it found you? Or did you partake in getting that up and off the ground? Um, well, uh, yeah, I was, I was just drawn to do riding in Moab and, and, um, you know, the, the difficulty of land management is especially on multiple use lands like BLM or forest service. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to have parents that would not only, um, put me through college and grad school, but, um, be willing to do it, um, 2000 miles away. Um, you know, unless they wanted to get rid of me, but I, I took them at the word that they, they would prefer I, I'd be closer by. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I still have to um, travel to visit and sometimes they visit me, but um, I, I kind of circled around um, Moab just, just from passing through on one trip and making a point to, to come back. Um, and, you know, of course the Slick Rock Trail and um, all the, the classics and then eventually moving out, um, to the, the more, uh, off the beaten path trails. And, um, you know, uh, when I, when I landed in town, I actually just volunteered for BLM, um, because it was winter time and you, uh, you really couldn't get a job back then in the winter. Um, but uh you know 12 bucks a day and a and a, a pickup truck and a motorcycle to map the trails because they they uh needed an inventory um and uh they allowed me to contact the local riders who knew a lot more than i ever would about the history of it and dale was one of them and and he convinced me to uh just do some guiding for his um, elite motorcycle tours company uh, for a couple of years um, but also uh, <clears throat> to implement this vision that he had um, of uh, a nonprofit that would primarily assist the um, the land managers to to do some of the work that they were spread thin on like um, trail work educating visitors uh, to learn about the crust not to bust, um, and um, I, um, you know, I, I eventually had to make a job out of it because he, he assembled a, a board, um, you know, sort of deliberately um, uh, a, a mix of people. Um, Joe Cresto, who you probably know through your own um, wildlife work, was a uh, a BLM employee and, and, um, Dave Cousins was, uh, avid motorcycle rider, you know, back in the day, he actually had a, a motorcycle shop and ran the motocross track in, in Moab and still runs, um, a dirt work company. Um, but, uh, Peter Lawson is, um, spending most of his time on his farm. Um, but, uh, has also helped build, other nonprofits, um, and so uh, together we we formed a 501c3 and and did projects as as volunteers. But it became apparent that at least one person would need to coordinate the volunteers on a a paid basis, um, and uh, the rest is history. So so ride with respect evolved out of this this group of i was it five or six of you um that you mentioned wanting to come together and make sure that this existed for our county for our region yeah um you know and and 
Dale didn't say this, but in my mind, having been exposed to slick rock first um, in the 90s when Sand Flats was really getting in its stride, um, you know, I, I could see what, what worked, but um, meanwhile, you have two million acres of the, the rest of the mod field office, um, not to mention state lands, <clears throat> national forest, and um, just more use and more kinds of use. Um, and uh, so we, uh, we knew there would need to be somebody to uh, fill ops. Um, and, you know, so we, we wound up like starting with, with trail work and we still do it, but there's, there's other things. Um, you know, for one thing, there's just the advocacy um, when it comes to planning matters. You know, you have all the stakeholders um, at the table. And, and so we um, definitely point out the, the value of, of different trails and, and hopefully all the, the valuable trails are sustainable and the, the unsustainable ones are unvaluable. It doesn't always work out perfectly that way, but, um, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we do uh, tout recreation, but we, we tout the responsibility side of responsible recreation um, just uh, with, with the stewardship. Um, and it's, it's not always our own uh, trail work. Sometimes it's, it's things like um, assisting state parks, uh, Utah State Parks, the OHV program, to um, expand its own grant program. Uh, which, which then, you know, around respect could apply to, but, but so could any other nonprofit or government entity from the BLM um, on down to um, local municipalities, actually statewide. And um, that's one of the things that's kept me uh, optimistic is we've all been kind of uh, overwhelmed by the, the, um, the problem of success, <laughs> uh, uh, the, the fact that we've grown so fast in recent years, um, you know, there are more resources, particularly at the state level available um, than ever before. Yeah, and I think you touch on um, an, a topic that any of us who came here, I came here in the late 80s, people that were born here, we saw Moab that it was on a growth traje trajectory, but I'm pretty sure if you had asked any of us back then, what would it be like today? We would not have anticipated, well, and I think this in the recreation community in general, just the logarithmic explosions that have happened, particularly over the past decade, where we went from a steady growth to just a huge expansion of participation in the outdoors, which does bring, it's a, I think it's great for human beings to be outside and recreating at any level they can recreate, but it also comes with some serious issues. And one of the things you guys do um, really focus on is your um, advocacy and education and trying to work with the public um, to follow some basic rules. Let's go um, take the time machine back and let's go back to the days where the Sovereign Trail was just um, an inkling. It was just a sparkle in its father's eye. Tell me about how that piece de resistance came about. <laughs> um, well, it's called the Sovereign Trail because it's on sovereign state lands um, administered by the Division of Forestry our state land. And um, that particular area is an anomaly because the vast majority of uh, state sovereign land is underwater or adjacent to um, the Colorado River, for example, the high water mark, I think is the actual boundary and, and the Great Salt Lake and other things. And so um, they didn't have much um, uh, direction as an agency on their, their surface property. Um, we had a bit of an opportunity just through a relationship with the um, FFSL representative at the time. What's um, FFSL? Uh, forestry Fire State Lands. <laughs> um, uh, at least I didn't call it thistle. <laughs> 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 but uh, basically entrusted in, in Ride With Respect to help organize the, 
the travel there, there was already some some interest in uh, OHV riding, motorcycling, especially, and camping in the area. And uh, you know, it, uh, it it needed to be more more defined. Um, and we had a little leeway in terms of using old roads and slick rock and uh, wash bottoms and things. And yeah, made made the Sovereign Trail as best we could. And it kind of because that that's when we had the most latitude and uh going back almost 20 years we we had a a bit of a palette um or uh, i'm sorry uh, a canvas to work with we did pretty well considering it was our first project but but really we we learned from a lot of mistakes you know just um um and, and i would say as much or more me than than anyone else um just making the trail too steep, you know, you you learn that uh, uh, trail design is about uh, keeping people on the trail and, and getting water off the trail. And I figured, well, we're in the desert, we don't have to worry about water, but it turns out that when it rains in the desert, it pours and uh, the water isn't absorbed as much by uh, plants and things, it tends to run. Um, and so, you know, we wound up having to reroute on some of the trail and then you know the the first reroutes got rerouted a second time because we, we you know even though we would make it more gentle of a grade um we wouldn't make it undulating enough because on your downhills you have to have a little uphills to to shed the water and uh where you can't shed the water then you got to harden the trail by burying rock or something people probably won't even see or appreciate once it's covered up but um uh in any case uh we we definitely learned a lot from from Sovereign Trail, and it still has some some fixes needed. But um, you know, we applied that uh, to a lot of the the BLM lands where we we didn't have that canvas so much. But you know, we we identified uh, problem sections of trail. Uh, some some of the problems, you know, just to zoom out, can be solved by education or even enforcement. But a lot of it is trail design um, and maintenance, you know, in, in places will work when you have a, a, a sandy area and you get whoop-de-doos forming, which is sort of like moguls on a ski slope. You know, you can actually groom those once a year, but if you have an area that's, uh, you know, really remote, hard to get the groomer to, it may make more sense just to relocate the trail. We've done dozens of reroutes, mostly on BLM, but um, Forest Service, um, Sitwa property, and uh, uh, it's it's rewarding because uh, although we're generally working with old mining roads that weren't meant for recreation, let alone um, you know decades and generations of recreation, uh, or or a uh, cow trail, <clears throat> whatever it is, you know if there's a need to relocate it when we do so we can typically make it more fun um more sustainable so there's less of a maintenance burden um and also potentially safer um but we try to promote safety by uh making the the risks as as predictable as as we can in terms of uh, if you have a, a really e easy trail and then it makes a, you know, an extreme dog leg turn by a by a cliff, you know, that might conjure wily coyotes set up for the road runner. You know, <laughs> that's uh, that's something we can try to anticipate and and avoid. And and so the the reroute areas are often not the the best terrain. They're not where you choose to to make a trail, but that's where the problem is. And and so we we make it better than it was. There are uh, a few places that that I would like to get back in the game of of uh, making a trail where you know the the trail systems have uh, have have shrunk to some degree. You know, I, I think in general the the access that we have today is ample, but uh, we can refine, make the existing trails more useful, um, especially in terms of like looping opportunities for whether it's motorcycle or you know larger vehicles and uh some of those are in in places with with the kind of terrain that that really lends itself it's it's not just um 
um, super sandy, which tends to, to whoop out, and then people wind up um, getting tired and going off to the side of the whoops, widening the trail. But if you have, um, you know, a, a decent mix of dirt, and of course rock is uh, more durable, you can, you can make the grades higher, which means make the trail steeper, so that it, you know, it, it gives the challenge, especially with a motor, you, you want some steep sections, um, and uh, rock allows you to do that sustainably. And, and then the, the rolling terrain, you know, especially if you can get on a side hill uh, and then undulate the trail. Um, I don't want to say it's maintenance free, but my, my point in, in going on that tangent is to hopefully uh, convey the fact that not every trail is created equal. You know, some trails um, aren't that fun and, and they're a lot of work um, to, to keep in, in decent shape and, and others just the opposite. And, and I mean, sustaining. Um, how many days a year are you spending, do you think, maintaining or dealing with these reroutes that in places like, so let's just take the Sovereign Trail again for an example. It's a very extensive trail system. It maybe is one of the more heavily used ones. How many days do you think it takes to keep that up to the snuff that you'd like to see it at? You know, last year, especially with the uh, coronavirus health restrictions, you know, my my trail work was not much more than a day a week, and and my office work um, was the other four. Basically, we're we're spread really thin, and and um, with reroutes in particular, uh, unless it's on a very small scale. It takes some planning. One uh, um, we did uh, where the, the Forester start hours was at the top of Robertson Pasture Trail in the Abajos, and um, you know that that wound up being a three-mile-long reroute. We put uh, upwards of a thousand hours <laughs> on that one trail and, and project, and, and the Forester has matched it, and and so that gives you an idea. Um, you know what what I would love to see is is that kind of work being done every day of the year um that's not frozen <laughs> um, uh, because you know there's there's no shortage of of work to be done and it it doesn't even particularly matter whether you uh, like motorcycle trail riding or actively dislike it um, or whether your interest is in uh, maintaining access to the trails or uh, maintaining integrity of the surroundings like trail work is is a win-win um and uh, uh i i wasn't totally convinced especially when we made parts of sovereign trail problematic at first um but uh, i i realized through uh, well for one thing imba uh international mountain biking association had uh, a guidebook on trail design and then um to make more specific for off-highway vehicle trails and mo motorized trails, um, National OHV Conservation Council or NOVAC um, came up with a a book that's that's sort of like a motorized version of the one from Imba. It's called Great Trails, and uh, it has a few pictures of Sovereign Trail in it, uh, demonstrating both good and bad <laughs> uh, design. This year, notwithstanding. Uh, because of the the craziness of COVID and how it affected everything, your um, trail work is very dependent on volunteer days. From what I have seen, you've been very successful at getting pretty much the volunteer hours it seems like you need and very enthusiastic volunteers. How did you make that such a successful part of your program? Is it just the love of sandwiches or is there more to it than that? <laughs> Well, uh, that that is a surprisingly large component, um, and and thank you to Love Muffin. But uh, I would like to think that it's also because over the years you you develop a a reputation. You know, we we've had some crusty old desert racers that don't even think motorcycling should be limited to designated routes. But as enough years go by, they realize actually this is the way it's going to be and it and it actually makes sense especially when you have more and more use out there um and that you know you can make the trail in a way that's that's sustainable but still fun to ride maybe even more so 
Um, and so they've, they've put the time in and then, you know, we've gotten, uh, some help from some people who don't even partake in that form of recreation, but they, they see the ecological value. And, um, so we, we appreciate the, the help wherever we can get it, but I, I have to say, I'm, I'm no expert in like the, the modern day, um, uh, you know, social media, solicitation of volunteers and things trail mix did a great job with that and we've tried to um mimic that with the motorized trails committee and we we've gotten a a pretty good turnout especially from the jeepers and uh, i think that's largely the connections that we have with the moab friends for wheeling and the red rock four-wheeler um jeep clubs and uh, uh so like this last year just for the motorized trails committee uh, we had 500 volunteer hours um, mostly BLM lands and uh, yeah we we, we want to grow that and and I'm proud of the the work of the volunteers but but I also um, want to tap into more of the, the grant funding that's available statewide you know you, you can get volunteers to do uh, certain things like, you know, we we maintain a a single track loop up in the upper Two Mile Canyon area on Sitla property, um, and that's mostly just from uh, Zane and Molly Taylor um, as far as the the clearing of the logs every year. They're just go getters. Um, but when it comes to swinging sledgehammers and, and other jobs. Um, you know, it's, it's harder to, to convince people to do that without pay and, and the pay's there. But I, I think the main thing that's needed for this community to get, I'm talking like quarter of a million, it's, it's really conceivable that we, we could get a half a million dollars, um, just for trails in the Moab area, considering the importance of, um, our trail system statewide but we need to show some skin in the game. Um, and uh, so far, uh, Grand County, you know, has formed the Motorized Trails Committee and, and there's several uh, Grand County staff people that have attended faithfully. Um, we, I, I think in order to get six figures, um, we, we need to come up with, with five figures um, to, to put it frankly and, and you know, in terms of who's who's making the the money off of the, all of this, uh, you know, I could um, point to myself saying, you know, I should do a better job of fundraising and get even more um, uh, funds from the uh, OHV industry. You know, a lot of those the business owners locally feel like they're collecting a lot of the the taxes. Um, you know, you have the um, the rental units, uh, almost 20% tax on on the rental vehicles, um, which I think accumulates to a million bucks a year uh, for, for local um, government. And th then even a larger amount from uh, transient room tax, um, which is the hotels. And, and then there's a similar one for the restaurants. And um, more so than just the, the donations from those industries what i would like to see is some support um from from them uh just in in terms of agreeing that that those taxes they're collecting from their customers um should should go to trail work the way some folks up in salt lake apparently interpret promotion is that it means advertising like billboards in my mind there's no better way to promote moab um than to improve the trails and and that's not just the the trails themselves it's it's their surroundings most trail work is, is really just um keeping people on the trail when you're talking about the desert you know instead of just making off trail less attractive you can make on trail more attractive um by having some challenge but then some some alternates or or i should say you know optional bypasses uh, so that every, everybody can enjoy a, a given trail and and that that improves the the product itself the word of mouth and and you know these days social media kind of does your advertising for you and so 
you can talk about things like uh, uh, affordable housing, which is a more indirect consequence of um, the success of tourism, um, but you know, a, a direct one that that benefits both the uh, the residents in terms of quality of life and the visitors in, in terms of the amenities that they come here for is is trail work and and you know i i shouldn't talk about it just in terms of like motorcycle trails is any kind of a re recreational opportunity um could be a climbing trail or so something associated with the river that's not a trail at all um but to me that that squarely benefits the the, the business interests uh, and the uh, the environmental interests so you, you might say it's green and it's green mm -hmm. No one, no one really comes here just to, uh, you know, push their bicycles or motorcycles around because there's um, a surface to do it on. It's the scenery that surrounds us. You and I have both do advocacy work for different user groups, which I always say there's like a pyramid or a hierarchy of um, of opinion or of judgment about, you know, well. Yeah, I'm a mountain biker, but climbing has more of an impact like this. Or yeah, I'm a climber, but uh, mountain biking, you know, everyone sees each other's impact more differently. The fact of the matter is we all make impact, but dealing with motorized vehicles, one bad egg can have a negative impact that can affect um, a viewshed far more dramatically than say, you know, one, one bad climbing route or some one person riding off of a bike trail. I feel like um, Ride With Respect does such a concerted effort to try to really keep people to, you know, stick to the rules of the trail and staying on trail and not destroying the scenery for myriad reasons. But that's also putting a lot of faith, we all are putting a lot of faith in our user groups to just follow these rules that basically most of the time have no consequences or not enforceable. How do you maintain that confidence in your user group when, as with other user groups, it's routinely just disobeyed and puts everybody's access and everybody's viewshed enjoyment at risk and a natural <laughs> yeah. resource? Yeah, that's a, kind of a million dollar question. I, I would just say that you absolutely need a little enforcement to back up what what you're talking about um, for the the minority um, who who aren't interested. When you start with the trail work and then the education, explaining what the request is, like you know, it's it's not just uh, avoiding the plants; it's avoiding the the dirt, the living dirt. <laughs> off trail then and then you explain why you don't know people but unfortunately you know 50 60 70 percent that's that's not enough you know even if we get 90 percent uh compliance and there's a hundred thousand uses of the the most popular trails that that's ten thousand problems and so grants available for for ohvs um can't cover the enforcement, but but that's where um, perhaps the the county and city, you know, with uh, some of the the rental uh, revenue they're getting from mostly side by sides these days, but it, it also includes the four wheel drive, ATV, and motorcycle. Um, you know, maybe they'll cover more of that. And and I've found in general that you don't need a constant law enforcement presence. You you need a decent chance that somebody might might get caught and you know word spreads fast so so yeah we we need more of that but the the biggest bang for the buck i i still think is the education and the and the trail work side of things and and education you know that that's where the county in particular has contributed quite a bit uh increasingly the marbury travel council kept improving its its videos with the five Tips for uh, great adventure in Moab, which is really um, targeting uh, OHV uh, adventures, and and then to do it like a local campaign. The missing link on the on the motorized side, um, you know, because we we don't have the 
the motorized Maddie and the motorized Tyson <laughs> is, yeah. is more, more trail work. You know, it, um, I, I, I'm basically a, a cheapskate. And, and so I've, you know, with a, a budget of under $50,000, Ride With Respect has, has done a lot of trail work over the, over the years. And, and uh, it, it seems like a lot of money to me, but then I look at Interstate 70 and, you know, how much of Interstate 70 does $50,000 get you probably a foot or something, <laughs> you know, we, we do have opportunities. Um, the, the motorized use, you know, is more uh, intensive in, in certain ways, uh, more erosion, more sound. Um, but you know, it, it, uh, it offers more in other ways, you know, um, the, uh, the fact is our, our economy is, um, largely successful because it, it offers variety because, you know, we're one stop shop. Um, a family can come here and do a different activity every day or split up if they have different interests uh, on an average basis. The, the, uh, the off highway vehicle visitor does spend quite a, a bit of money. Uh, some of that goes back in the form of, of taxes and, and, um, just in terms of the, uh, the grants available, the, it's coming by the way, from the registration and the fuel taxes. Um, and I, I've talked mostly about the, the state level grants, which are fig, but then there's these, um, federal level grants called the recreational trails program also administered through the OHV program of Utah state parks. And, and that OHV fuel tax, it gets split uh, between the, the motorized and non-motorized. Um, so I think the majority of the mountain bike trail development uh, was was these um, RTP grants. The state level grants are are not even requiring 50/50 match. They 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 leave it more on a sliding scale. The last thing I'll mention about money is is that the the RTP right now it's a one and a half million bucks statewide that's distributed for uh, motorized and non motorized trails combined, but what OHV riders in Utah are, are paying in to that is at least three times that amount. And one thing we've tried to do is support Representative Curtis's uh, bill, the RTP Full Funding Act, because that would um, at least triple the funds available for the, the motorized and, and non-motorized trail maintenance. And right now I probably sound like the money guy. When I started in 2001, you know, one of the reasons I moved away from the suburbs of New York City was because the finance careers and things didn't interest me. Um, uh, after doing enough trail work and screwing up my back um, and uh, just realizing like money isn't the end, but it's a hell of a means. It is a hell of a means. And, and welcome to the world of grant-based um, nonprofit work, work, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's by no means the only ingredient, you know, having a grassroots interest in, in things and, and getting the, the regular, uh, whether they're visitors or residents to pitch in is, is critical um, because, you know, when we talk about, well, my, my taxes pay for this or that, even all of these millions of dollars I've been talking about um, from the OHV registration and fuel taxes, it, it doesn't add up to enough to really keep the trails in the shape we, we need to keep them because it's probably costing riders like a dollar a ride or something. It's not the $100 ski lift ticket, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, no, you still need to put in the time, even if it's just a day a year, if we multiplied that by the, the million visitors, um, we'd be so much better off. What do you see as the, the future role of um, the Motorized Trail Committee and how is that going to either dovetail or split from Ride With Respect? The Motorized Trails Committee is in particular offering a hub um, for the, the different uses because Ride With Respect has, has done work on all kinds of trail, but you know, mostly motorized single track. Um, and we, we, we cover all, all kinds of motorized recreation at the MTC, including snowmobile um, and snow bike, which is like a dirt bike with a, a ski and a track. So that's one of the latest inventions. And, you know, every time there's a new invention, it's, it's important to, to, 
to not uh, lag too far behind in, in your management. Um, another new one is the e-bike, which I honestly didn't envision initially, but uh, Trail Mix, you know, wanted uh, a e-bike representative somewhere, and and we said, uh, yeah, that um, th that makes sense. The e-bike isn't non-motorized, but the e-bike isn't exactly motorized either. It's in the traditional sense of like a motorcycle. It's a spork, if you will. Um, <laughs> it's in the purgatory of bikes and motorcycles. Ideally, yeah, you know, sporks actually aren't uh, very functional, but I I'm told e-bikes <laughs> ride like a dream. I like both. I just think that, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Big fan of sporks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you you must be more dexterous than me. The thing is, to to cover the gamut there, the the motorized trails committee did uh, <laughs> oblige trail mix's suggestion, and and we in in turn said, you know, there ought to be an e-bike rep on on trail mix as well, because when you look at uh, this new user group, which I think will will grow just as uh, UTVs have grown. You know, where is its place on public land? Part of it is all of the motorized routes that are already available. And uh, especially as a motorcycle rider, I would love to see that uh, renew everyone's interest in improving motorcycle trails um, because I know that given the right terrain and proper design, e-bikes can have all on motorcycle trails. Just ask a a mountain biker on that Robertson Pasture reroute, they'll say it's fun as any other trail. Um, the reality is that I don't think that motorcycle trails are, are going to solve 100% of the, uh, the e-bikers needs. For one thing in the desert, we have to pass through a lot of sandy areas. An e-bike is not going to have as much fun on. And then you have the, the gamut of e-bikes, um, all the, the class one, two, and three. So they're always going to be more like a bicycle than they are a motorcycle. So there, there may be some, some class that's appropriate for some of those non-motorized trails. I, I fully respect it. In, in this area, um, all of the mountain bike trails were made by mountain bikers for mountain biking. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about like a class one minus, which is a half horsepower, and the motor is under five pounds. There's probably a non-motorized trail out there that, that that's suitable for. Reality is there's there's going to be a spectrum. There, there's going to be class three plus. There's going to be, well, in fact, there, there already is. You, you have very capable e-bikes to the point where they have vestigial pedals. Um, they're basically like mopeds. You know, you might pedal if you break down you don't even have to use the the motor and as, as the battery technology in, improves you know that will be more of a thing all the way up to a an electric motorcycle and you know those are are absolutely um coming down the pike and it's kind of exciting because the problem is going to be they're too quiet and that's even easier problem to solve than too loud but because of that spectrum i think the answer is some of all of the above. So I'm glad that Trail Mix has uh, said yes to uh, considering e-bikes on a case-by-case -case basis, trail by trail. You know, really the ideal would be to look at the whole planning area and, and, and not uh, make decisions that affect, you know, all trails in a single category or something, but, yeah. but uh, figure out certain non-motorized trails to allow a certain class vehicle where motorcycle trails need to be improved to um, facilitate e-bike and then the the middle path which is you know a, a new trail with a new classification specifically for e-bikes and so having that latitude um to to plan all of those three things you know is is critical and if you look at certain areas like downeyville california they've just taken the one approach um, which is just improve their motorcycle trails, which have more grant funding available, and the e-bikers love them, um, and I'm all for that. Um, the reality is in the LaSalle Mountains, you know, there's going to be some places where it's not uh, going to get permission to build a motorcycle trail. I would like to see some motorcycle trail development there because currently it's only available on the Sitla property. The corridors of the, the graded roads, like the, the Geyser Pass Road, you know, if there was a, a motorcycle trail 
paralleling Geyser Pass Road, it could be very useful for e-bikes and really every kind of travel that wants to get off of the road. Yeah. Um, but then you start getting further into those primitive areas, um, you know, and I'm talking higher elevation, alpine. Back in the day, Exxon was making roads up there, but these days, uh, motorcycle trail is a, a lot less likely. Uh, and an trail um, might might just uh, um, be the the ticket. It's its own classification. And and currently the the draft forest plan with the recreation opportunity spectrum classes actually um, makes all of those areas away from the um, the graded roads like Geyser Pass Road. Anything that's above the loop road, pretty much, um, is is zone non-motorized. And um, you know, if if e-bikes were to be deemed non-motorized, you know, like class one or whatever, um, then then that would solve that problem, and you could still potentially make an e-bike trail in a a non-motorized ROS class. But but uh, you're always going to have those, like I said, class three plus those oddballs that um, uh, if if the the draft forest plan isn't changed you know, the, the only options are going to be along the graded roads or down uh, at the lower elevations, like, like 8,000 minus, um, you know, so like Jimmy Keen flat trail that, that works for an interseason trail, but it, it doesn't really work for a, um, a peak summertime trail. Uh, and, and I don't think it would for, for e-bikes either. And so part of what Ride with Respect does in it is advocate making sure that um, things, like the forest plan give the latitude to the subsequent travel planning so that um these these uh emerging uses like the the e-bike and and eventually um the uh, electric motorcycle will will popularize and and when they do um you know it's it's be a little a little different game uh we still could have an erosion problem which can be solved by proper uh, trail design but we're not going to have the the noise so much and these these forest plans tend to the, the current one is going to be 40 years old before it's um before it's <coughs> revised and improved um so the uh, uh the role of ride with respect has predominantly been the <coughs> the service dog if you will um because we um you know, we want to help. Uh, I think the, all the land managers around here um, do a good job with the resources they have, but there's times when we need to play the, the watchdog role as well. Um, and uh, we, we feel um, justified in, in doing so because, you know, we, we haven't lost sight of the, the, the importance of stewardship because uh, as, as you've hinted at between the different activities, you know, um, uh, there's uh, a lot of um, potential impacts to, uh, when you have 40 horsepower at the flick of a wrist. Um, it's a, a tremendous sense of freedom um, that, that you get riding a motorcycle on a trail, but with that comes an equally tremendous responsibility. A lot of responsibility. Well, as we are ending, winding down to the end of our time, what would be two things that you see for 2021 that um, one thing that Ride With Respect is going to be focusing on and that the Motorized Trail Committee is going to be focusing on? Um, well, the Motorized Trails Committee, um, you know, assuming I uh, am uh, reelected as the chair, um, for 2021, uh, we'll continue to to do trail work, um, but but also weigh in on some of the management issues like sound. Um, you know, there's a lot of grievances, uh, especially in town, but even out on the trail as well. And and we think we have something to offer um, to uh, to actually to to make a real um, impact in in mitigating noise um, and. <coughs> On the ride with respect side, you know, we, we wind up staying pretty, pretty nimble because we, we fill in the gaps, you know, with, 
with Sovereign Trail, it was more popular among mountain bikes uh, when it started, um, you know, because trail mix hadn't hit its stride. And we're happy to um, to be a, a part of that. But uh, then, you know, we, we weren't needed in that, that way as much since then. And, and so um, it's, it's hard to say, but uh, definitely I want to uh, follow through on positioning uh, Grand County to uh, secure grant funds uh, for, for more trail work uh, to be done on a, a larger scale. Um, and, you know, people can, can get involved, uh, particularly if, if motorcycling is your thing, uh, contact ridewithrespect.org. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll get you in, into the fold. Um, but if you have an interest in, in motorized recreation of, of any kind, um, you know, uh, uh, come to the, the motorized trails committee meetings and, and, uh, contact me or whoever's chairing it up. Um, because it, it, it very much is, uh, intended to be a, a community effort, you know, where it's, it's, um, the, the land managers and every, everybody, um, uh, trying to identify common interest. Um, and so I, I just want to take the time to thank everyone who, um, regardless of your, your fancy recreationally, you know, if, if you're trying to be a, a positive influence, um, and give back in some way, you know, we, we need more of that and, um, we need to, uh, support one another. And, and that extends to you, Lisa, for, um, this show, because I, I think you've raised a lot of good questions. Well, thank you so much, Cliff, and I am right there with you in wanting to thank everybody who um, participates at an advocacy or a boots on the ground level with um, our outdoor recreation programs. We don't all love the same things, as Cliff said, but um, we all love this place, and and yeah, we got to work together and and do a little give and take um, because it's not just a binary kind of situation. And for anyone who is interested in participating in any of the things Cliff mentioned, Ride With Respect or the Motorized Trail Committee meetings. We will post links on those um, on the KZMU website when this show gets posted for streaming. And Cliff, I really want to thank you so much for coming and sitting with us and giving us a better insight into Ride With Respect, the Moab Motorized Trail Committee, and all that you've done and your path getting here. Yep. Likewise, Lisa, and happy trails. Happy trails and happy 2021. <laughs> Absolutely.